Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, for a slightly different Sound of Play 195 is, from the internet, you'll hear more, Matthew Smith. Welcome to Sound of Play. Hello there, thank you for having me. So Matthew is not that one, I'm sure you get that a lot, work, uh, <laughs> moving in circles. This is not the Matthew Smith who coded uh, Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy. Although that would be quite a coup. 
It, it does come um, up. <laughs> of course it does. Of course it does. Uh, so, now, the reason you're here is because I spotted a thing, which presumably means that your uh, your marketing of it has, has been going quite well. I guess we share, uh, we share some of the same sort of internet contacts on social media with, you know, retro gaming and all mm. that kind of thing. But the yes, thing indeed. I spotted was a Kickstarter for Amiga Power, the album with Attitude. <laughs> um, so... I guess where do we start? The first place we should start is um, with me because I'm an egomaniac because uh, because I do a podcast. But I just wanted to say, I guess the thing that caught my eye was um, Amiga Power because I have right here, right next to me, every issue of Amiga Power from <laughs> the dummy issue that was given away free with Amiga format all the way through to the end, the final ah. Uh, issue, which was uh, was it six hundred and sixty five? Sixty five, yeah. 65 yeah um it felt like longer at the time um so yes and uh, i've moved many times i moved a lot of times over the years in the particularly in in my 20s and 30s and very sadly with enormous regret i had to ditch some of my enormous collection of magazines from oh. going all the way back to the 80s just because it was unfair to keep asking friends of mine to lug boxes and boxes of uh, of heavy magazines but those i've kept are yeah there's a few and the a complete amiga power is one set so that's just a little grounding to, to listeners who don't know what amiga power is <laughs> all about so what's your history with the magazine that brought you to this point um well like like yourself i have all all the issues that ever came out and um it's just something that i i i, I grew up loving um i got my amiga um when i was quite young i was about 12 and uh, Amiga Power was something I just happened to spot one day, and the local news agents bought it because it looked interesting, and uh, got hooked straight away. The the standard of the writing, the the humour of it, um, all of it just really appealed to me. And as the years went on, it was the one magazine that uh, I really enjoyed more than any other. Um, in fact, even today, I can't think of a magazine I've enjoyed more um, of any kind uh, than Amiga Power. Um, it just had a, a real sort of style and uh, sense of fun that was completely unique. And uh, so it's been a big inspiration to me. Um, it's kind of the reason that I got into um, journalism and publishing as a career. All right. Wow. Amazing. Um, and so I suppose then what what was the, the chain of circumstances that led from you being a fan of this magazine that ran from was it 91 to 95 or there? Uh, 96. There, yeah. 96. Yeah. Um, to thinking about launching an, uh, a, a a record making some publishing some music uh, obviously centered around amiga music obviously if you're a fan of amiga power you were you were a fan of the amiga computer as well yeah. uh, how did how did it all how did this all come together this kickstarter um it's a few things have come came together really at this kind of the same time um as a fan of the mag i'd found that various members of the old ap team were online sort of on twitter and things mm -hmm. so i was i was following them on there and um uh, it was probably about uh, 2014 or thereabouts. I, I got into um, the Amiga remix scene um, a bit more than right. I had been. So I've always enjoyed the music that the uh, Amiga games had. And for quite some years, I was following um, various remix sites where people would post up stuff that they'd made just just, just for fun, really. Um, new um, arrangements of existing tunes. Um, and those were great. You thoroughly enjoyed them. Um, but as time went on, I kind of found myself getting a little bit 
frustrated that certain tunes were continually being remixed and remixed, whereas other ones that I really liked, which I thought were great, um, uh, never got any attention. And right. I started getting in touch with the musicians on these sites and found that they were really sort of lovely people, happy to sort of take ideas for things. And I started commissioning people to produce remixes of the, the tunes that I, I really wanted to hear. Huh. And... Uh, from there, um, got in touch with some of the actual original composers, people like Alistair Brimble and Tim Wright, um, Jason Page. And again, really smashing guys, um, incredibly happy to chat about their, their music and um, happy to take on some commissions themselves, just to, again to be released for free on various websites, yeah. um, SoundCloud and so on. Um, mm. This was like 2014, 2015. And that led um, from, from one of the people on the uh, on the Amiga Remix site, um, became good friends with, putting him in touch with another friend of his uh, who was working on a, an Amiga Remix album of his own, um, invited me to become a co-producer on that, uh, which I did, um, helped out with that for about a year or so, um, getting in touch with various musicians and arranging to, for, for new remixes to be made. Um, thoroughly enjoyed doing that and yeah it was directly from that I started to think well um, now my work on this is kind of kind of finished um, I would like to do something of my own and obviously I'm uh, um, trying to go ahead and do an Amiga album of my own um, Amiga Power seemed like the ideal thing to base it around because um, yeah. it occurred to me that I could get in touch with the the various ex members of the uh, the writing team, get them to nominate some of their favourite tunes, um, kind of work out a, a short list of eligible uh, ones that we could do, get in contact with the musicians and the rights holders and everybody, um, and just go from there. And then sort of more ideas cropped up, like the the contents of Amiga Power's cover discs. They had lots of stuff that they gave away over the years that was exclusive mm. to them, um, a lot of which yeah. had really great music. Um, so yeah, um, there's lots of opportunities to do some quite fun and interesting remixes based on AP, and yeah, that's that's exactly how it all got started. And this is again probably about um, the end of 2017, so it's been in development for a little while now. Um, but yeah, yeah, finally sort of coming to fruition. And at the time of recording, uh, we're recording on uh, Thursday, isn't it? Thursday the 18th of mm -hmm. April. You'll be hearing this uh, at the earliest listeners if you subscribe next Wednesday, so six days' time. Uh, as we record, um, though this wasn't the case when I first uh, got into contact with Matthew to to put this show together, but uh, the Kickstarter has since made its original goal of £16,000, so that's fantastic because <laughs> they're, I've never put up a, a project like this where uh, we have a Patreon, but uh, we haven't you know, ever set a, a goal that is required by a deadline for a, to make a physical product with mm. in so there must be uh, i suppose there was a certain amount of trepidation and, and you may have thought well you know we'll be lucky if we get halfway there and then to <laughs> to make your goal with plenty of time left and to now be looking at uh, extra tiers and stretch goals and things that must be pretty gratifying oh it really is it's a it's, a, it's hugely um pleasing and so quite a bit of a relief as you say because it's it is kind yeah. of an unknown quantity when you go into one of these campaigns um this is my first time doing a kickstarter um i was very fortunate though um to have some really really first class help and getting it all set up um a guy called chris abbott um who runs mm -hmm. c64audio.com um a, a friend on facebook put me in touch 
touch with him, and he's an absolutely invaluable. I mean, really, I don't think it would have been half as successful without his input. Um, all the way along, just advising on the way to present things and things to do and not to do, and um, basically right. getting sort of more publicity and different uh, um, stretch goals to offer and uh, reward tiers to avoid and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, um, he really has just been an, an absolute gem all the way along. Um, so yes, huge, huge thanks to, to Chris for sort of guiding me along the, the this, this journey that I'm on. Um, and uh, um, also Ronald Van Jick on um, of zero one zero one zero one music, um, who's my, my collaboration actually the production side of things, getting all everything arranged to have the um, CDs manufactured and getting all the licensing sorted out. So yeah, I've been I've been very very lucky to have such uh, excellent help um, from on the uh, sort of production and presentation side for the the whole campaign and uh, so and as you say in terms of actually the publicity of it um it's been actually delightful to find there's just so many people out there who are happy to spread the word and and support it um mm. the, the retro gaming scene um it's obviously something i've followed a lot over the years but i haven't really been particularly actively involved with um but yeah everyone's been incredibly welcoming and helpful and and just thoroughly lovely so it's been a, a delightful experience it really has great to hear so we'll talk more about the project and what's available and uh, and so on and so forth as we go along. But we also need to talk about the music itself. So my uh, my pitch to Matthew was uh, that this show would be something of a sampler for and a uh, and a companion piece to the finished uh, album. Um, so today we're sharing uh, a number of tracks, but not nearly the full uh, gamut of of the entire album. But this is good; should be a good sort of uh, cross section of what's going to be on the uh, the product that you'll be able to get for yourself. And we started with actually a relatively late one in the Amiga's life. I know the true Amiga super fans will say that the Amiga never died and that it went on for for many many years, even after 1994. But for a lot of us. Uh, we were kind of moving on to Saturns and Playstations at at, uh, at this point, and uh, and the Amiga was sadly. I still have my A twelve hundred with with hard drive, but uh, but it you know doesn't get quite the amount of use that it did back in the day. Um, and Banshee came quite late at the point that I was probably already buying most of my verticals, scrolling shoot 'em ups on Mega Drive and Super Nintendo. Um, but so this tune is less familiar to me, but, um, but this is a remix by Brian Sadler of Martin Schoeller's mm-hmm. original tune. Uh, yes. So was this a favorite that you particularly uh, you approached the, the the authors and commissioned this one? This is an interesting one um, because this particular tune didn't actually appear in the finished game. Um, what it, it did, though, turn up um, on the demo version that was given away with Amiga Power. And it was a tune that I always really liked. That and I so would have played. Was it sound or was it the, was it sound or sound music or sound effects? It was one of those games. Was it? No. Um, for the final game, they actually decided um, because they were so happy with the, the the ambient sounds and everything they'd come up with. Oh, right. They, they yeah. went for the, just just effects during the gameplay. So yeah. there was a title theme, and I think there was some music mm. for the intro and end sequence. But uh, yeah, the actual gameplay itself was just sound effects. Um, oh, so, right. they, so it's kind of an exclusive. 
Yeah, um, the the tune that Martin um, did, um, say he, he uh, I think he was called in quite late because uh, the actual um, soundtrack that accompanied the the commercial release game was by another Martin, Martin Iveson, um, mm. and yeah, uh, he we'll he be was hearing from later. Yes, um, I I believe he was busy on another project when they were putting the demo out, so they got this piece of music um, from Martin Schola um, instead, and it's a very kind of cinematic um, kind of piece. It really fits the game and so um, it was a little bit of a shame that it didn't uh, appear in the final version but uh, yeah I always really enjoyed playing the demo uh, with this piece on it and yeah. um, Brian's um, arrangement of it is, is tremendous it's a real again like it goes for the cinematic route um, very much along the lines of his work that he's done for Harry Partridge's animations which is where i first heard of him um you may have seen starbarians um a series of uh, very very funny um animations that harry's done online um and the most recent one they had a special um extra video put on brian's uh, youtube channel explaining how he constructed the soundtrack and so that's how i um, really heard of brian and really could appreciate his work um as as it was and yeah got in touch with him he was, he was delighted to, to help out so um yeah commissioning him was uh it's actually one of the later ones um he was just a couple of months ago really we were working on this um but yeah um it turned out smashingly really really pleased with it you know one of the things that we often uh an issue we come across i suppose when we play amiga tracks on this show from time to time and we and we play some of the famous ones and some of the more the deep cuts as well but it's the old uh, super separated stereo situation that the Amiga used to have for whatever reason it was a stereo it, it, it produced stereo sound but it was only left channel and right channel there was basically no middle as such so by using these remixes that allows you to circumnavigate the uh, the potential for kind of making people's heads go funny with the <laughs> the hugely split stereo separation. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's coming to to the remixes. You've got so much more freedom um, to do pretty much anything you want with them, really, and different styles and things. And obviously, the the Amiga had for its day amazing sound capabilities. I mean, far more sort of advanced than PCs of the t- time. Um, because this yes. is eighty seven when it first came out. Um, but yes, um, yeah. Uh, when you're doing the uh, arrangements it really is just an opportunity just to sort of go in completely different directions um and and try new things and this is again a good example of that really because i say the actual um arrangement that's Brian's created it. It feels like something that has been done by a full orchestra, but it was all again. It was all just one man with his uh, sample library, um, and it sounds tremendously authentic. So for those of a certain age, uh, it's time we had another piece of music. Psygnosis uh, uh, is a name that absolutely you know, resonates with those of us who were there at the time. Um, for those who are a little younger, they might know that they got uh, kind of absorbed into Sony Liverpool. And eventually, I'm not sure if there's many remnants of, I mean, Sony still have a Liverpool studio, but how many of those people there were, were ever involved in Psygnosis, I don't know. But as well as making these super high production value glossy uh, games for the Amiga. They also occasionally dabbled with some slightly more um, curious and eccentric products, the kinds of game that you would get in the 90s when 
publishers were less kind of risk averse. Things like Bill's Tomato Game. <laughs> yes, um, it's one of the more unusual um, items on the uh, the album actually. Uh, but this one was, um, I think it was the first ever game that um, a reviewer called Tim Tucker reviewed from Eager Power, and he was uh-huh. very fond of it. And uh, um, likewise, I think it's one of the more underrated games um, on the Amiga generally. Amiga Power didn't underrate it; they were very happy with it and uh, thought it mm. rather, rather splendid. Mm-hmm. Um, it made it into the all-time top one hundred the following year. Um, but yeah, it's not one that people talk about an awful lot, but actually um, working on the album and the Kickstarter particularly, putting out a, a sample of it recently, um, people actually were really positive about it. And it turns out that it does have quite a lot of fans out there um, who've yeah. uh, obviously got it at the time and uh, have a lot of fond memories of it.
Bill's Tomato Game by Mike Clark. So that's the original composer remixing his own work? It is indeed, yes. Um, the, the actual um, Fantastic. genesis of this one was, uh, it, it took a bit of a while because Mike wasn't entirely sure what direction he wanted to take with it, but um, ultimately um, he was incredibly pleased with the final result and, um, and I, I, I likewise. And the whole thing's got this wonderfully sort of sunny, um, sort of upbeat feel to it. Um, the acoustic guitars in particular just have a, a lovely kind of, um, sort of happy quality to them, um, which is a pleasure to listen to it's just uh yeah just a really kind of um fun and uh uplifting one that 27 years ago that one bill's tomato game with the original anyway uh yeah must have been quite an experience for mike to go i mean mate i don't know maybe he listens to it on a loop every day <laughs> but uh, i imagine that may have been the first you know going back to remix that may have been his first sort of really thought about the Bill's Tomato game music for quite a while, although it's possible, I suppose, he's done retro events and things where people have said, you did Bill's Tomato game, and <laughs> yeah, that kind of scenario. I think this is the first time he's ever remixed any music from it, though, I think. I right, <laughs> OK, good stuff. Um, and another uh, slightly deeper cut, as you said, um, this is one of the most interesting things, I think, about this particular set of Amiga music that you've curated for this is the fact that it's not all the obvious choices. Uh, the obvious choices are obviously great and legendary and epic and iconic and all those things. But <laughs> this allows us, as you say, to give some deeper cuts, some time in the sun. And this one, now this game is another I didn't play. I'm kind of showing up my... Uh, my latter day uh, I'm, I'm blowing my amiga credentials <laughs> blob um so i'd already played putty or silly putty or super putty or whatever it was mm -hmm. at this point um and then blob kind of came out around the same time or slightly later and um, yeah. um and and i think i was guilty of thinking well i've already played putty <laughs> so i don't need to play blob but i'm sure it's a completely different game it's it's very different, and there was there was kind of a, a, a brief rash of kind of blob games on the Amiga really around the was, time because yes. there, there was Putty, as you say, and Blob, and there was something called Glob Duel, which again is a little sort of sticky blob That's with right. eyes rolling around the place, and a few uh, PD games on the same lines as Blob Combat yeah, and yeah. others. But yeah, um, Blob <laughs> itself um, is it's, it's one of the more unusual games I've ever really seen on the Amiga or anywhere else. I, I can't think of another game quite like it. Um, essentially, you're controlling this character. This sort of uh, again amorphous bouncing blob in the middle of the screen but um it's uh, it, although it's a platform game it's viewed from above and so you can obviously shift left right up and down but you can also bounce or drop into the screen and it's semi 3d um it's as like you... bounder the old um the, the oh, c64 game yes yeah. i think yes i, I, I hadn't actually played bounder myself but i remember that got mentioned in some of the reviews at the time so yes i think that's probably mm. where it got due to inspiration the thing is from. in bounder you weren't allowed to drop down that was the whole you're like you do not drop down whereas ah. this game um and again i do remember playing the demo of this uh so it, it yeah i think maybe that was it's some of its inspiration but it, it mm. took the concept on in the sense that you yeah you could platform vertically as well yeah and you're encouraged to go up down and everywhere really just to mm. so every level had a kind of different goal there's some you had to roll around all the, the the platforms and paint them a different color and there were some you just had to get to the exit there's some you had to release little tiny versions of blob uh, from little prisons and guide them to safety um so yeah it was, it was quite varied and 
strange and quite vertigo inducing when you actually fall off the platform accidentally and go plummeting yeah. sort of to, your, to your doom and yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, it, it's kind of disconcerting um, and yeah Blob looks terribly sad when this happens which is kind of heartbreaking as well um, but yeah the, the music for it um, was all by, by Martin Iveson um, who's uh, um, although he's no longer sort of remixing his old Amiga stuff is very happy for someone else to take on, on the job and in this case right. it was uh, Fabian Del Prior um, a good, very good friend of mine um, from AmigaRemix.com where I first met him but who's done all kinds of work for the Amiga Remix scene on various albums over the years and uh, is particularly deft with Martin's stuff he's, he's remixed pieces by mm. him before um, for Immortal 4 for example he did the theme well one of the themes from Wolf Child which is a really real favourite of mine um, so he was mm. the, the obvious, obvious person to ask to, to, to take care of Blob and he put together a medley of uh, various tracks from the game um, and yeah it's a game that I, I loved a lot uh, back at the day it was uh, actually uh, featured on an Amiga Power demo disc first and then mm. I think it was their penultimate issue they gave away the full version because uh, by then they were giving away full games again um, so yeah it's got quite a bit of connection to huh. Amiga Power Yes, I did play it in that case, for sure. <laughs> um, but yes, I must say, while I do have the complete collection of magazines, I don't have any of the discs anymore, I don't think. <laughs> or maybe I kept a few of them in a cupboard somewhere. There might be some um, gravity power and things uh, like that. Yes. <laughs> Just some of the great sensible train spotting and, and whatever else was, was on those ones. Uh, so yeah, let's hear a bit of Blob. <laughs> Blob. 
That was Blob from the 1993 Blob. Uh, so that was by, for those who like a history lesson, that was actually a core design game. So at that point, we'd already had uh, games like Switchblade from Core Design and Chuck Rock. And of course, they would go on to make a little thing called Tomb Raider. And uh, and then eventually they got hoovered up into IDOS and then into Square Enix. I think that's pretty much <laughs> the... I think that's right. I think so. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's some. I think that's the lineage anyway. Um, but apologies if I'm wrong. As I get older and as more things happen, it's hard to remember all the things that ever happened in games. <laughs> um, my encyclopedic brain is uh, is starting to you know spew out sparks and tape when I start to think too hard. <laughs> uh, anyway, listeners, I'm here with my guest Matthew Smith who's currently kickstarting Amiga Power, the album with Attitude. And as you've heard, we're listening to selections from it and hearing the stories behind some of the tracks and the project itself. Now, this next one interests me because this was a game that was, uh, I guess it's a, uh, you'd call it a PD game, a public domain game. Mm-hmm. But of course, this was back in the day when, rather like we do with this show now a lot of the time, sort of, flying under the radar of litigation (laughs) so (laughs) you could make a game and call it deluxe pac-man or deluxe gallagher or whatever Mm -hmm. rather than renaming it something else you would just say look we'll just leave the name in the title it'll be fine no one will care (laughs) um i guess maybe the fact that they were giving it away for free meant that it wasn't infringing on anything Mm. um and uh and and so on and so forth but i was wondering it did make me think about uh from your point of view as as putting this project together and publishing it any of the is it everything now um public domain or is any copyrights or licenses just irrelevant the amiga power sort of branding and name itself is any of that some anything you've had to negotiate or or circumnavigate with that I mean, it's varied from piece to piece on the album, but certainly for the Amiga Power name and logo, the Amiga obviously that still belongs to to Future, um, as or Future Publishing as right. they were back then. Um, but yeah, um, we got in touch with them early on, and they were very helpful. Um, there was a license Real. fee involved, but by, by and large, it was just a question of getting everything organised in terms of what we were going to do with it, and uh, just making sure they were mm. happy with the the, sort of the content of it and so on. And uh, cool. yeah, um, so that we got, we got a license sorted out for them, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's very in terms of the licensing of the tracks depending on who who's actually um sort of composed what and, and and who owns what and so on but um yeah. deluxe pac-man is an interesting one um it was designed by um a chap called edgar m vigdal who's as i'm afraid to say died um a few just a few years back um but he designed some excellent um games for the amiga two in particular that uh, featured on amiga powers cover discs deluxe pac-man and deluxe gallagher um mm-hmm. but uh the, the music for them um, I'm not entirely sure what happened but um, that although it was p- pieces um, that would be quite familiar to people um, who sort of were following the demo scene for the Amiga or indeed the, the C64 um, Edgar presumably didn't know who'd written what because if you look in the credits of the games themselves um, he says um, something along the lines of um, and so many thanks to whoever it was that composed the, the wonderful music that I'm using for the title <laughs> screen um, but he doesn't actually know right. who it was and so for years, um, as someone who we as, uh, as a small sort of kid um, listening to these tunes um, on his Amiga didn't know who'd written them originally. I had no way of finding no. out. Um, but it was later on, obviously getting onto the web and looking into it a bit, I was able to find out mm. that uh, the, the music that accompanies Deluxe Pac-Man, um, or at least on the version that went out with Amiga Power, was a tune called Overture. 
um, which was written by Jogir Liljedal. And mm. it was something um, that I hadn't really heard before. It had an incredibly sort of emotive piece. I mean, considering it's a, for a Pac-Man game, it's quite sort of dramatic and ethereal. <laughs> um, but yeah. in, it was a, a wonderful track. And it was something that I believe he'd written as a sort of a, a demo tune, um, which presumably Edgar had uh, encountered and really liked and yeah. sort of plucked it out to use on the game. Um, and the, the same actually happened with Lux Gallagher. Again, he didn't know sort of presumably who'd written the, the piece, but mm. it was another of um, Jogi's, um pieces that he created for the Amiga, but it was actually based on um, a track by someone else. He, he'd created his own arrangement of the alibi, um, by Laxity, um, which is again a very familiar to on, on the, the Commodore 64, I believe it originated. Um, uh-huh. And uh, yeah, he'd created his own arrangement of this for the Amiga, which presumably again um, Edgar had um, discovered and really liked, so he put it on Deluxe Gallagher. Um, so yes, both of these pieces by, by Yogi he, he'd encountered, but had no idea that they were both by the same guy. Oh, really? All right. (laughs) Just like the sound. (laughs) Yeah. Marvellous. Well, let's hear some of that. Uh, Bring it up. It's uh, from Deluxe Pac-Man.
That's Overture by uh, Yogi Liliadar. Liliadar, I believe, yes. <laughs> Something like that. My apologies. Uh, <laughs> yes, from uh, a game that was uh, originally put out on ni- uh, in 1992. But I noticed looking at Lemon Amiga, there was an AGA special version of that as well. There was. Came, I, uh, think, I think the, the music better. varied between versions. I'm not entirely sure. Mm. I, I, just, I, said I just went with the one that I, I heard back in the day um, with the, the AP cover disc. Uh, listeners, I've just said AGA there because I knew Matthew would knew, know what I meant, but uh, that stood for Advanced Graphics Architecture, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. which was basically an upgrade to the Amiga, which came along with the uh, with the A1200 uh, and the A600, I think, as well. Had the uh, AGA in it. I think, um, I'm not sure, actually. I think it may have been the A4000, but don't quote me on that. I'm not entirely oh, certain. Oh, okay. The A six hundred I remember led to some compatibility issues because, but that was because of the lack of numeric keypad, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> it was. Some they games can... required it. They, they chopped it off um, because they wanted it to look more like a console. Um, this being yeah. Commodore's ill-advised period, um, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, games that require the numeric keypad wouldn't work on it, even if they'd load. Yeah. Um, you'd suddenly find you couldn't do anything with them. Um, so yeah, it's not one Amazing. of their better moments. Um, the A five hundred plus before it had similar uh, compatibility mm. issues. They did something oh, yes. to the to the Kickstarter the one sort of, of um, mm. uh, when you actually put the discs in, and they wouldn't load properly unless you did something yes. with them. Um, so yes, they they had unfortunately this habit of sort of shooting themselves in the foot as the 90s went yes. on yeah particularly uh, obviously it's a it's a it's a hot button topic still to this day backwards compatibility and so on and so forth mm. it's just been revealed at the time of recording and that everyone is the thing that everyone expected is going to happen which is that playstation 5 is going to be 100 percent backwards compatible with playstation 4 and uh, i think we believe that whatever the next xbox is will be the same so really that's the first generation where this has happened there have been attempts at doing it and kind of um jury rigged solutions like um master system converters for the mega drive and things like that but in the amiga days when when the amiga ruled the roost particularly mainly in europe but uh, in the first half of the uh, of the the last right at the end of the 80s to the first half of the 1990s it it should have been easy for them to make everything 100% compatible with everything else mm. but they managed to repeatedly not do that <laughs> so uh so you would upgrade your amiga and then half of your old games or, or whatever wouldn't work um in in the case of yes when i upgraded to my amiga 1200 i've yeah i, I had a whole box full of games that would just no longer load or mm. would corrupt or anything it was a, it was uh it was a real shame it's something that I discovered later. You could get around if you happen to have. I think I think this was released just again as a public domain thing, um, a kind mm. of um, a Kickstarter downgrader type thing where you yeah, put the disc right. in, you could access, activate various options, and it would revert to the previous um, version of Kickstarter Operating so that you system. could actually yeah. boot it as if it was an older version of the, the same computer. Um, but yeah, um, quite why they they persisted in doing this, I don't know. It just seems like the most obvious thing. But uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, and they were very much uh, as a or Commodore uh, and the Amiga brand was very much on its haunches by the end of the Amiga's life. Um, yes, I mean the the, the CD thirty two um, was kind of the final sort of straw. Really, um, it was a capable machine, but never really yeah. took off. Um, and part no. of the reason for that was just because it was kind of used for shovelware. You know, anything that uh, mm. was a twelve hundred or just a five hundred compatible, stick it on a CD, um, add a CD soundtrack, yeah. and bung a tenner on the price, and look pleased with yourself. Um, but uh, yeah, mm. and people obviously <laughs> didn't really sort of go for it, and it wasn't helped by the games they bundled with it uh, some of which were just unimaginably terrible 
<laughs> a game that was definitely not unimaginably unimaginably <laughs> terrible. Slick segue um, was Harlequin. Mm. which uh, is a game that I bought and uh, played quite a lot, although never completed because it was very weird and obscure and quite difficult. Yes. Um, but I did what I actually went back and watched a playthrough recently on YouTube uh, just to see what I'd missed. Um, and I still it's a weird one. It's um, it controlled very weirdly. It didn't perhaps have the the most elegant uh, sort of animation and, and platforming of any game ever. But what it did have was a real sense of um, sur surrealness and a real atmosphere. Do you have fond memories of Harlequin? Uh, it's actually one of my favourite games. Um, it's probably my favourite platform game still to this day. Um, wow. I mean, you could say that it has various issues, but the the, the way it's designed and the the, mm. the, so the atmosphere of the thing is fairly amazing. You know, every single um, level is a completely unique sort of experience in terms of what you have to do and the way it looks and the way it sounds. Um, yeah. And the, the puzzle um, system by which you have to progress through the game is, is I, I genuinely think, really ingenious and this whole thing where you have to look for switches to flip and you, you know that every time you find one you, it's worth using it because every they, they always benefit you it's none of that sort of yeah. dangerous thing of things um, tr springing traps on you then no warning they, they're always helpful the trick is to figure out what they do um, and there's all kinds of clever little sort of visual clues that they sneak into the background or little sort of um, uh, they, they, there's a little light bulb thing that'll appear above the character's head um, there's yes. um, different uh, sort of ideas to share, um, and if you sort of just pause for a second, the uh, little come with a little sort of text-based based hint um, to help you go go further. Mm. I mean, it's one of the more sort of um, non-linear games I've ever found because although there's various bits that always lead on to the, the, the same levels, there's other sections where you can access multiple different routes through the game. Right, um, and again, that sort of adds to the surreal and slightly confusing nature of it because you're never entirely sure where you're going to end up when you go through one of the. Yeah, you can end up from going from super cutesy brothers world to some creepy sort of uh, steeple or something. Oh like yeah, that. I mean, some of the levels are genuinely sort of quite sort of um, quite creepy um, in terms of the, the way they again the, the way they look, the way they've designed the the, the, the baddies and and the kind of the, the colours they use. I mean, there's a real really really sort of inspiring use of colour through that whole game to just enhance mm. the atmosphere, and uh, mm. and the music as I say plays a big part in that. Um, Barry Leach's soundtrack for it again, some of my favourite game music ever, um, and the the piece that. Um, that sort of opens the first level um, in particular it's called the clock tower um, which is where the, the first level is set you have to sort of climb to the top of it nebulous style um, to um, actually unlock the door at the bottom um, so you have to go all the way up to the top unlock the door go all the way back down again and go inside yeah. and then sort of hunt around inside the clockworks um, until you can get the, the, the hands to move on the clock at the, on the top of the tower, go back outside, climb all the way up it again, hop onto the hands and get onto a, from the, from there onto a kite to access the next bit of the game. And I say it's quite say, quite strange, but uh, again very imaginative and quite unique. I think. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah, it, absolutely love it. <laughs> the only thing it reminded me of a little was uh, was a game that a friend showed me some years before, which was Chucky Egg Two. So not the original Ooh. single screen platformer Chucky Egg, but Chucky Egg 2 had a kind of um, had a similar sort of, um, yeah, sort of arcade adventure hub world where you could go off and get different items and, and bring them back. But um, I'd, yeah, I don't know if there was any connection there. Whatsoever. I never encountered that. I didn't actually know there was a sequel, I must admit. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one worth looking up, uh, probably 
better to watch somebody else try to play it now <laughs> than to play it yourself but uh, worth checking out yeah there may be no real connection it was uh, it might just be a, a mad brain connection of mine but um <laughs> it's the sort of thing that harlequin inspired so let's hear some of that excellent atmospheric music from the warp factory's harlequin
released in 1992, I remember. I was still living at home with me mum. <laughs> and uh, I used to spend, I would say, 99.9% of my income, because I was working by this point on computer and video games, um, which is, yeah, a considerably higher percentage than I spend now, sadly. <laughs> uh, but yes, I would, you know, I'd just go down the town every week and buy whatever the latest new uh, big game was, if I could. Um, I have a lot of memories of coming back on buses with those massively oversized <laughs> Amiga cardboard boxes. They were size uh, boxes. Yes. They were, they were, out there. I mean, they were ridiculously... Uh, oversized um but i think yeah it'd be interesting we've got obviously we've currently got there's a big um kind of enthusiast market for limited run games and mm. you know physical copies of games that are released digitally um i wonder if uh and, and obviously we also we're still getting games programmed for old machines yes uh, there's a there's quite a scene for making Commodore 64 games and Mega Drive games and stuff like that. And no doubt people are making Amiga games as well. I wonder how long it is before we see either a Kickstarted or a, just a commercially released big box Amiga game in a massive A4 plus <laughs> cardboard box that's three inches deep. And inside all you get is one floppy disk and, a, <laughs> and, and two sheets of black and white A4. But sometimes, of course, you'll remember, uh, Matthew, getting... Uh, an Amiga box and it would have a load of stuff in there. Some oh, yes. copy, some uh, some clever copy protection, or even sometimes a T-shirt. Mm. A- any fond memories of bits and bobs that was stuck in an Amiga box? I'm going to assume you were <laughs> like me and you were a good boy and you bought a lot of your games. Of course, I mean I, I remember Monkey Island Two um, being certainly very packed because um, they had those, as you say, the code wheel. I think it was something like eleven or thirteen discs. Thirteen. I um, think, so yeah. that was yeah, that was filled to capacity. That one. Um, and I think Cynosis yeah. um, particularly had a, 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 yeah. a, a habit of just sticking as much stuff as they possibly could into the boxes. I mean, I certainly the the Shadow of the Beast games. I think they, they all came with T shirts and various other bits yeah. and pieces um actually um mentioning bill's tomato game again that was a fun one mm. came with a, a free sachet of ketchup which is a bit different um but yeah um there's 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 quite a few games which had unusual copy protection um the, the code wheel as i say was quite a common thing but yeah. there was there was some like robocop 3 uh, where they tried to do uh, this, the dongle yeah the mm. dongle yes they tried to have this thing where you had to plug it into the other um, joystick port for the game to work i think it was cracked the opening day um so uh, but, i think <laughs> i think it was cracked before the game was officially released in fact if i if i recall yeah i remember yeah. a um a dark dirty brown sheet of paper with a load of printing on it for SimCity, oh, um, nice. which was basically an, a non-photocopyable piece of paper, uh, <laughs> which yeah, which was hard to read with the naked eye, even with my youthful twenty uh, twenty vision of, of an eighteen year old or whatever <laughs> I was. It was like I can't read this, and I would occasionally get the code wrong, and it would think I was a pirate. You know, oh. it's not fair. Yes, uh, no, no, we all suffered. I remember some of those. I think some of the later Team Seventeen games had the the code books where everything was black. There was black paper with lots of black but glossy print. You had to Shiny, hold, yeah. hold it under the light so you could actually read the thing, <laughs> and you got like one go to get the right code. And if you didn't, it jumped jumped you straight back to the boot screen. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> blame the pirates, not the publishers. Maybe. Indeed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, obviously. And again, it's funny, you know, the a lot, so many of these conversations, obviously, I'm still, you know, very much involved in games industry mm. and media in a sort of semi-professional capacity. And the arguments that, that all come up, you know, all came up then all come up <laughs> to this day, really. Yes. Uh, we, we've moved on in some ways, but not in others. <laughs> 
Now, this next piece, uh, this is a deep cut, and I've got to admit, I have no memory of this. Uh, now, unless my research fails me, so obviously what I got from you is a list of tracks. Mm -hmm. So when I Googled Nipper, Amiga, the thing that kept coming up was Nip Nipper versus the Cats That's it. by Graft Gold, mm -hmm. which is an HMV promotional item, I think. It, it was. Um, this is something that Graft Gold made specially uh, for Amiga Power's yeah. uh, cover disc. That, uh, well, one of the two that I think they gave away with the 32nd issue. Um, and it was... Yeah, a tie-in with HMV. At the at the time, uh, they were really going big on video games, and I think uh, it was their yes. their sort of flagship London branch um, was set up this uh, sort of department within the store called Level One, um, which was That's entirely right. devoted to games. And um, as a, a tie-in with the launch of this, they they had this game Nipper, where you control the uh, the, the iconic little dog um, from the HMV logo, um, yes. running around uh, beating up various sort of villainous cats collecting um, lots of objects for points and then trying to return them to the HMV store for, for bonuses. And the whole idea of it was that you had to get the highest score possible um, at the end of the, the demo, which, which was sort of time-limited, because um, you had to be quick to, to get anywhere. Yeah. Um, it would give you a special code, um, which would uh, represent sort of the score you'd got, which you'd send in to Amiga Power. And I think then whoever got the highest scores were invited to um, the, the the, the flagship HMV store for a kind of a grand final. You play the game again, and whoever got the the highest score on the day would win a thousand pounds, which is very nice. Wow, um, a lot of money back then, especially. Indeed, um, and yeah, I mean, the, the competition. I think it all went pretty pretty well. I think they, they had a few technical issues on the day, but it all got done. And uh, yeah, um, the the actual um, the game itself. I think it was designed by Jason Page as well as him doing the music. He actually put oh, the thing together. Um, they right. had uh, they had someone someone helping with the graphics, but in terms of the actual um, the, the, the design of the thing, um, yeah, he put it all together himself. Um, so it was very much his his baby. Um, and the music for it was quite funky. It had this kind of rave track that he's done a, a new sort of EDM <laughs> version of for the uh, um, for the uh, the album. Um, but yeah, it's it's a game that I think a few people will have encountered via Amiga Power. But but uh, if you yeah. didn't get the mag, you probably would never have, have, have seen it even or heard of it. I must have loaded it. I'm sure I used to load everything I got on those discs. <laughs> but I, really, it's just, yeah, in, in the, the the 26 years that have followed, it somehow <laughs> slipped out of my head. The fact that it was Graph Gold would have, uh, would have piqued my interest. Uh, we're actually yeah. covering uh, Paradroid and Paradroid 90 later this year on our main podcast, oh, Kane Ritz. Uh, so we'll be talking more about uh, Bra Braybrook and Co. Mm. on that one. But for now, let's hear this. Uh, yeah, this deep cut. Uh, <laughs> take yourself back to the early '90s and remember when a lot of music sounded something like this. <laughs> Yeah. 
versus the cats that's nipper the hmv dog yep would you believe it uh the, the his master's voice dog who looks into the 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 horn of the gramophone <laughs> and uh I, I guess still represents to this day we we didn't we brighton where i live used to have two hmvs mm. at least um maybe three at one point uh and then it dropped down to the one and then it was none for a while and then it came back as they have done in a few places under the auspices of a new uh over uh, overarching owner i believe oh, but yes, i haven't course, yes. whether yeah they're not they're not what what they were and um you know it's one of those places that i sometimes pop in and browse and then mm. buy things cheaper online which <laughs> is you know obviously i'm part of the problem but uh the problem is bricks and mortar is expensive well, that's the thing yeah also their game section is absolutely pitiful it's mm. uh, it's literally like one tiny little row of things um <laughs> But yes, it's good for an emergency birthday present if you want to get somebody a Blu-ray or a CD. Absolutely. Um, 
So that's my plug for HMV. <laughs> uh, play Nipper versus the Cats. Or listen to the music on the upcoming album, uh, Amiga Power, the album with Attitude that we're talking about today with Matthew. And one more piece. Again, this is uh, no, it's something of a deep cut. Now, I do remember playing this from the Amiga Power cover disc, Scorched Tanks. We mm. talked about this one because... On our other podcast, sister podcast, Cade Rinse, we did a show all about Worms, the entire <laughs> franchise going all the way back to the original Worms, which yes, came indeed. two years after Scorch Tanks, but was obviously deeply informed by it. Scorch Tanks, of course, itself was an Amiga-ized kind of clone of a game called Scorched Earth on the PC. Mm. Um, so uh, Dark Unicorn brought it over. Um, and I don't have, I, I don't remember the music of this from the time, I've got to say. Um, it's another um, kind of um, AP exclusive because when the game came out, yeah. I think as a, a, a slightly larger version of itself, um, on, I think it was I think it was shareware. I can't remember exactly. It may have been. Um, I think just you're right. Um, it, it had a different soundtrack, but the version that oh. came with Amiga Power uh, had this tune called Horizons Edge, um, mm. and it was again very atmospheric. It was, a, it was a fairly short sort of looping piece, but it had a real style to it, a real uh, kind of just of um, other world sort of atmosphere to match the fact that you're on these strange planets trying to zap one another across great distances um but yes. yeah um the actual gameplay itself is definitely uh, uh, must have influenced worms to some extent especially all the sort of outlandish weapons you could get in this one which kind of distinguished it from its predecessors because there was just tons and tons of different things you could buy for your tank um in this game yeah um and some of them as i say were quite bizarre um in terms of their effects uh, the, the way they'd mm. sort of affect the landscape or or, or sort of fling your tank across the <laughs> across the, the the space to make it less easy for people to draw a bead on. Um, but yeah, That's the right. actual uh, um, yeah the, 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 this 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 particular tune, as I say, it's not it's mm. not one that perhaps people would have encountered if they bought the the, the full version um, via the PD libraries. But yeah, um, the, this is the version that I played, and uh, I always I always really like this this particular piece. Um, and uh, Tim Wright, um, aka Cold yeah. Storage. Um, He's yes. done a, a wonderful new rendition of it, which again I absolutely love. I think he's done a magnificent job of just sort of bringing out the, the atmosphere of the original and just accentuating it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good one. Thank you. 
remix by Tim Wright from the Sidewinder original mm-hmm. uh, from Scorched Tank. So uh, Tim Wright, we, obviously we've mentioned Psygnosis there. There's a good connection there. Obviously mm. they work together, particularly uh, famously on Wipeout yes. later on the PlayStation. Uh, how did you get Tim involved in uh, in doing that? Had he already looked, worked on this track or did, was this something that you uh, commissioned yourself? Um, this isn't a commission myself. In fact, I got to know Tim a couple of years previously when I was doing the commissions just for fun um, on to release for free online. Um, he did a, a few different pieces for me um, based on other games. Um, there was, I think you'll find them on SoundCloud still. Um, there was one based on Kid Loves 2, um, aka ah. Little, Little Bow, as it was originally going to be released, but then it, it changed. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, oh, yes, um, Risky Woods, um, one of the tunes from that. Yeah. And mm. um, probably one of the slightly better known ones, another PD game. Uh, he did a, a tr- all three of the, the main tunes from. I'm not sure what this right. Super Twintress, I think it was called. Um, one yes, of the right. um, uh, more famous sort of Tetris clones, yes. um, which because it had a two-player yeah. mode. And yeah, there was mm. uh, there were three different tunes you could have as in-game music. And uh, yeah, he did a, 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 a compilation sort of piece of all three um, tracks again, which he put out via SoundCloud and Amiga Remix, just just for fun. Um, but yeah, he was great, really really great to work with. And so when it came to doing the the new um, sort of version of um, Horizon's Edge they got in contact with the original composer and he was very very lovely but uh, no longer sort of doing uh, remixes of his own stuff um, but was very happy for Tim to, to take over which he did and uh, yeah it turned out it turned out really well Amazing good mention for a Super Twintress there which was probably my Amiga Tetris clone of choice as Amiga Power were often bemoaning the fact that I think it was I think there were at least two, if not three separate official attempts to bring Tetris to the Amiga and all at full price and all terrible. Yeah. Like, how do you mess up Tetris? But (laughs) repeatedly, publishers, developers did. They were very bad. They were slow and they were kind of had peculiar movement. Um, The the graphics were off controls. Dreadful. Mm. Um, Yeah, Mm. it was very, very strange. I don't know how they managed to get it quite so wrong consistently. And Super Twintress was uh, was slick and free, and uh, and of course, you know, many uh, many years later. Now, obviously, it wasn't the first um, sort of uh, look at doing Tetris in multiplayer. I think the Atari uh, arcade version had a multiplayer, for example, mm-hmm. and, the, and the NES versions did, but um, but I don't think they'd they'd found their one to the way onto the Amiga. But now here we are in 2019, and people are playing multiplayer <laughs> Tetris all over again in Tetris 99 on the Switch and having a great time doing it. Uh, The more things change, the more they stay the same and all (laughs) that stuff. Uh, So before uh, I do our little section of uh, flannel and we talk about the (laughs) final track, uh, we should talk a little bit more about what people can get involved with as regards to the full album. Firstly, I suppose, how many tracks... Obviously, we're hearing bits from eight today, but how many tracks are on the finished piece and what else can people treat themselves to if they uh, if they back the kick uh, Kickstarter? Uh, well, um, there, there's there's now um, uh, there's going to be 35 tracks in total um, spread across yes. two CDs, um, so it's, they're they're pretty packed. Um, and there's so a really sort of broad mixture of different games from to the commercial to the, the public domain. Um, but um, the, yeah, the actual um, Kickstarter itself, there's, there's there's all kinds of different sort of reward options available. Um, there's various uh, other albums that um, different artists who are contributing to the AP album. 
them um, have done before. Mm. Um, so there's um, various ones. Um, Chris Hulsbeck, uh, his latest Turrican album. Um, that's one of the yeah. uh, reward options. Um, Tim Wright and um, Alistair Brimble. And uh, there's, there's, there's also one by... Um, Martin Noriande, aka Instant Remedy, um, insert disc mm. two, which is one of the uh, previous releases by Zero One Zero One Zero One Music, um, and Paula Agnes Denise, um, another one of theirs from a few years ago, um, which is another sort of collection of various different remixes by different people. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of different albums available. Um, there's uh, posters and prints of some of the artwork that's going to be going into the um, booklet accompanying uh, the album, which is actually so mm. something else I should probably mention, um, as well as the two C. CDs, um, the both the physical and the digital release are going to have something called the Mighty Booklet, um, which is yes. going to be um, a, a fairly sort of substantial um, liner notes uh, collection, um, not just sort of um, lyrics and information, but all sorts of different facts about the different tracks and their connection to Amiga Power, and um, with various interjections from the old AP team who are also doing some writing for it. Um, so that's going to be something a bit different. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, um, other rewards. Um, there's um, we actually just introduced um, some new ones just recently. Um, there's uh, now a T-shirt um, available from Seven Squared, um, who are a fairly new bunch doing officially licensed video game based shirts. Um, they they had a Kickstarter not long ago um, just for their first wave of shirts based on various Bitmap Brothers properties. So you had things like Xenon and Xenon Two, Speedball, um, and um, yeah, they're doing some some new new ones to come out later this year. And as a sort of special exclusive for us, they're doing a Chaos Engine design, um, which is oh, something nice. uh, something quite quite special. Um, they're going Desirable. to be putting that together um, sort of in the next few months, and then um, anyone who pledges for that will get the the the, the first sort of uh, wave of them before anybody else. So that'll be quite fun. Um, we're also doing some little postcards, um, and as stretch goals, we've got some other bits and pieces. Um, you can get hold of the uh, the the, um, the novel Camwin Stanley. Um, one of AP's mm. uh, editors over the years. Uh, he wrote a yeah. sci-fi novel some years back. You can get a free copy of that. And uh, Dave Green, uh, one of the more influ- uh, most influential um, production editors that the magazine ever had, um, he, his brother actually had a, a game appear on one of AP's cover discs called Extreme Violence, uh, which mm. Dave had written some music for, which ultimately didn't get used. So he's doing a new rendition of that as a little sort of, sort of extra bonus because um, he just hit the uh, um, the um, stretch goal for that. So. Yeah, there's all sorts of different things going in. Amazing. So, as I say, uh, there's 10 days to go at the time of recording, so we'll officially be on the clock down to, uh, I guess, four days or something by the time this podcast comes out. But I suppose that that doesn't mean people are locked out from uh, from chipping in or, or buying the finished product? Oh, no, indeed. I mean, it goes on until, I think, yes, it's 10pm on Sunday the 28th of April. Uh, that's when it all con- concludes. Um, so there's still time if people do want to get hold of uh, the album and some goodies to go with it. Um, there's, so to say, most of the different options are still available. Um, so, yeah, um, if people would like to, um, to get hold of a copy, there's still time. Get it while it's hot. <laughs> uh, next stretch goals unlock at 19,000. So if you're looking at this... Uh, as this podcast comes out and it's not quite there, you can help 
tip over the edge into uh, into the next budget, uh, the next bracket. Yes, indeed. So if we get cool. onto that, we'll be adding some uh, more pages to the booklet, so it becomes mi- mightier still. Um, and yes, and um, so we've got so the, the, the actual sort of content of that's going to be quite fun. Um, we've been in, mm. getting in touch with the various old uh, AP members. They've come up with some um, some photographs of their, their their days in the offices back in the nineties wow. and the future, okay. which I, I'd never seen before. Uh, so that's quite fun. I'm going to try and get some of some of those in there. Um, but yeah, um, there, there's some there's some really good um, some special bits of artwork we've had commissioned as well as well as the the, the front cover um, by a guy called Roger Langridge, who's one of my favourite comic artists. Um, there's also a piece in there by A.J. Jeffries, who's a special effect whiz, um, which is based on one of the uh, more famous running jokes um, that uh, Amiga Power had over the years uh, for F Max, um, which yes. was uh, a fictional fizzy drink, uh, which was mm. advertised extensively on the back cover of the mag for several months. Yes, and um, when, a, when advertising had kind of gone, yes. <laughs> Amiga games they they drew their own, and yes, I still I still regularly reference uh, or irregularly I should say reference F Max, the lightly sparkling fish drink, to <laughs> friends of mine to bemused faces. Yeah, that that's also available as one of the the prints or posters or or need postcards, which again another theme we've, we've introduced. You can just get a little set of three postcards. And the other the other um, item which is available for that is uh, based on a, another AP in joke um, for Canoe Squad, um, which is a, a TV show which allegedly um, yeah again another another of their things they completely made up, but which was incredibly authentic at the time. Um, yes. And yes, um, a chap called Stephen Brotherstone, wonderful guy who's uh, the author of Scarred for Life. Um, this collection mm. of sort of 70s memorabilia um all, sort of all about sort of public information of films of the time and so on yeah. um a fantastic artist in his own right and is designing a, a poster for us for canoe squad the movie um which is absolutely smashing <laughs> he's, he's done such a, a lovely job on that uh, it's all sort of uh, um it, it looks hand painted um it's, uh, it's absolutely yes. sort of splendid sort of old school movie movie poster style um so yeah that's uh, something i'm particularly looking forward for being People to actually see the, the finished version of that because it's, it's still in development at the moment well i'm all in it, it absolutely sounds like a, genuinely an essential uh, counterpart to my complete collection of amiga power magazines albeit without the the discs um it sounds like i've got to have all that stuff uh yeah my my only real amiga power minor claim to fame is that i am on friendly terms with Tim Smith, who wrote for Amiga Power for a while, um, he was probably more known for his Amiga format work. But mm-hmm. he did some he did some stuff in in Amiga Power, uh, and he's a very nice man. And uh, uh-huh. you should he's recently come off Twitter, but he's been making a, a podcast in recent times about mistakes. Uh, it's uh, it's a really good listen, actually. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah. So remember, listeners, please venture over to our forum as well at canarince.com slash forum. Or you can find us on Twitter at canarince. Use the hashtag sound of play or the Facebook page if you want. You can request your favourites and curious pieces from the history of video games music. And we'll continue to include a selection of those in the playlist for each regular sound of play. This was an irregular sound of play. Please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, Leave us an Apple Tunes or iTunes review or rating if you can. Or if other places you get podcasts from allow you to put likes or thumbs up or stars or hearts or whatever for us do that too it all helps listen to our other podcasts i've mentioned cane and rinse which comes out on mondays our deep dive review show playwright on thursdays we create whole new ways to play with new game ideas based on pitches and on fridays we talk to independent video game developers in the sausage factory Uh, follow us on twitter as i say also facebook also instagram 
And if you've enjoyed this show and you enjoy everything that we do, please consider donating just a dollar a month through our Patreon, patreon.com slash Even just one dollar, which is the minimum, unlocks week early podcasts, uh, extended podcasts, an exclusive monthly podcast uh, and a few other bits and bobs besides. So uh, before we talk about and hear our final track, I want to thank Matthew Smith for joining me on this uh, slightly unusual but very exciting for me sound of play. Oh, thank you very much, Steve, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, as well as, uh, oh, I was going to thank our community contributors, but they contributed nothing in this particular show, <laughs> but uh, keep those requests coming in for future podcasts. So I suppose uh, the thing to do is uh, plug the, the actual address. We've got a few days to go when people are hearing this, hopefully. So where do people need to go? Um, yes, if people go um, online to apkickstarter.com, um, that should get them through to the, uh, the Kickstarter homepage. Oh. Perfect. APKickstarter.com. And that will get you there. And you can chivvy up for all those wonderful and, yeah, probably never to be repeated Amiga Power and they're official, you know, because you have, you have the license. So it's yes, not even. Yes, indeed. No, it's, it's officially licensed. All the, uh, the old AP team have, uh, they, they've all nominated tracks and uh, so they're going to be contributing to the, uh, the booklet that comes along with it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be a real companion piece to the, to the magazine, sort of uh, as it was back in the day. It's, it's still got the, the full collection, um, as, as indeed we have. Um, yeah. It's definitely going to be something to add to it. <laughs> absolutely going to do that so this final piece that we're going to close this sound of play with this is a real curio and an interesting one so when i see speedball 2 obviously you first think of the bitmap brothers mm -hmm. but then in terms of the music normally i'm thinking of uh, nation 12 and uh and uh, i think it was richard joseph did the coding to get nation 12's music into speedball 2 but this is something called speedball 2 movie mix by simon rogers with Remixed by Alistair Brimble. So, what's going on here? Well, so the, the actual um, original, I think, is, as, as, you say, as you say, it was um, it was Simon Rogers who composed it, and then Richard Joseph uh, sort of like created the Amiga version of it um, to appear That's in the game. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah um, Alistair, um, say he he's um, someone again I, I'd worked with previously, um, and obviously an absolute sort of splendid musician. Um, he's been working on so many things over the years. Um, yeah, just to try and do something different because the the, the, the Speedball Two theme has been remixed a lot over the years um it's appeared on mm. various um previous sort of amiga remix albums and it gets covered a lot sort of uh, on the uh, just for fun by people like on amigareemix.com and on youtube and soundcloud and so on it's one that does crop up quite quite frequently this is people obviously are so 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 fond of it um and obviously it is a, a bit of a classic really um yes. but uh just want to try and give it a, a, something a, a bit different um because we're coming to this um album wanting to try and keep it as sort of fresh and, and different as possible um and so yeah we came up with the idea of approaching this as if it was the score for a movie um and so that's the the tack that alistair took with it um kind of summing up his his inner jerry goldsmith um to create mm. something that uh, if you imagine like speedball 2 had been made into a movie kind of like in the late 80s or early 90s like by paul verhoven or, or someone some kind of wonderfully over the top sort of sci-fi sort of action romp um this would be the the music that would accompany the 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 intro to it um oh. so he, he took that kind of that, that idea and ran with it and uh, and came up with again this this really sort of wonderfully sort of bombastic action movie piece um and it really does suit it it, it does feel like something very much from that era of, of sort of so, so 80s and early 90s action movies 
Fantastic. Well, it's been a treat uh, to talk about Amiga Power, the album with Attitude, and to speak to you, Matthew. Good luck with it. Thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. And we'll leave you all with this special Speedball 2 movie mix, and we'll see you next time on Sound of Play. <laughs>